One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Noseworthy. The next thing I want to talk about as we work our way through this mini-series on inflammation and exercise is this idea of high-intensity interval training. And we talked just, uh, I think it was in the last episode, where we talked about how intensity is intensely personal, that we shouldn't be looking at people other than ourselves to try to define what is intense. The question is, what is intense for me and what my current functional capacity is, particularly my ability to engage in some volume and intensity of work and then dampen the inflammation and, and oxidative stress that comes as a result of that. And so that doesn't mean that you can't take the fundamental principles. Like, let's say that you're, you're part of the inflammation nation and your exercise tolerance is relatively low. And by that, I mean, maybe you can do some activity or exercise, but it's easy to overdo it. And there's, I, I would say the vast majority of my personal coaching clients are, are in that realm. They're, they haven't stopped exercising yet, but they've noticed a decline in their ability to perform and certainly their ability to recuperate and to recover. So certainly changes in their activity and their output, but it hasn't disappeared altogether. So if we understand then that, that as intensity increases, so does the inflammatory oxidative stress insult, does that mean we have to abandon it altogether? And to that, I would say not necessarily. And, you know, to be honest, uh, some of these questions or the answers to these questions really have to be made on a personal basis. And so all I can do right now, and I hope this is helpful to you, is to talk about how to, you know, what are the rules? What are the concepts? What's the framework? And then help you figure out how to apply that to yourself. Because just like I can't say uh, engage in high intensity exercise and have some kind of external ob objective uh, base to what that is interpretation, meaning I'm not basing it on what I can do. I'm basing it on what someone else can do. There's no one absolute that defines what high intensity exercise is. Because as I've mentioned in a couple of the episodes before, for some people who are really deconditioned and metabolically challenged, it's maybe simply walking up a flight of stairs is high intensity. And so maybe you walk up half a, a flight of stairs, and then you stop and you rest and you finish the rest of it. That, that literally is high intensity interval training. And, and so we want to take the concept of HIT training, H-I-I-T, high intensity interval training. We usually uh, abbreviate that just simple as like a HIT workout and understand that we can tweak the variables to make them suit us. So let's go back in, in time, if you will, to let's call it the, the modern inventor, if you will, of high intensity interval training. It was a Japanese exercise physiologist, I believe is his, he was, and his name was Tabata. And if you poke around on the internet enough, you'll find references to what's called the Tabata protocol, which is really where all of this started. And what Tabata designed for athletes was uh, an, a four minute session where the athletes would, uh, and, and I believe his original study was designed on uh, just using a, a bicycle ergometer, like a stationary bike. And what they would do is they would pedal as hard as they could for 10, uh, 20 seconds. 
and then they would take a 10-minute rest, meaning they would continue to pedal at a lower intensity. They didn't stop, they just kept going, but at a lower intensity. And so what they did for four minutes was they cycled on and off between high-intensity work and a rest period, and it's a relative rest. So 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, that's 30 seconds. And so on four minutes, they would do eight total cycles or eight total intervals. And that has kind of become the benchmark of high intensity interval training. And again, it's called the Tabata protocol. And you don't have to use a bike, you can run, you can do burpees, you can jump rope, you can use an elliptical machine, you can do basically anything that gets your heart rate up. It doesn't even have to be, you know, quote unquote, a cardio type exercise. It can be some kind of functional, functional movement. Like I just mentioned burpees. It could be um, pop squats or lunges. <laughs> anything that you can do for a defined interval of time where you can give it everything you've got, and then you have a relative period of rest. And so Tabata's original protocol was predicated on 20 seconds on, one second off. That equates to a two to one work to rest ratio. Two to one work to rest ratio. And that's great if you have some semblance of functional capacity. That's great if you've got some conditioning and you've got a reasonable ability to handle the inflammation that comes from high intensity exercise. But what if you're, what if you don't, what if you're part of the inflammation nation and there's no way that you can give it everything you've got for 20 seconds? Well, what if we change the variables? What if we flipped it around and said, and said, instead of a 20 second work interval followed by 10 seconds of rest, what if we did 10 seconds of work and 20 seconds of rest? And maybe during our work interval, maybe we didn't push it with everything, 110% of what we have maybe we limit it to 70%. And so we go, we don't go all out, but we're, we're exerting some kind of an effort. So that's one way that you can modify, say a Tabata protocol or a HIT type workout to try to match what your current functional capacity is and to make sure that you don't exceed your metabolic tipping point. So again, one way to modify it, to personalize it for yourself is to flip around the work to rest ratios and modify how hard you're pushing during your work interval. Now, another way is to actually really start playing with the work to rest ratios by themselves. So maybe you, instead of doing, uh, let's say we flip it around and we have more rest than we have work because the Tabata protocol is twice as much work compared to the amount of rest over uh, eight different intervals. So if we flip it around, it doesn't have to be a two to one ratio. I mean, what if we did a, a one to three ratio where it's X amount of work and three X times of rest. For example, maybe we have a 10 second work interval and we can modulate the intensity that we have during that 10 second work rate uh, interval. But then we triple the rest. So we actually rest for 30 seconds. Now that's a 40 second cycle. So 10 seconds of moderately intense work and 30 seconds of rest. Now you've got more rest to recover to be able to do it again. In fact, I did this kind of inadvertently back when I was in, in university and I was playing intercollegiate volleyball. Uh, we had a, a, a pretty progressive coach who was, he introduced, introduced us to what is called Russian step training where he tossed us all in, into the deep end of a pool and we had to tread water furiously for 20 seconds or so. I can't remember what the interval was, but basically, you know, treading water furiously like we're running in the water and then we had to rest by treading water slowly. And we were doing this back in 
gosh, this was back in the 1980s, I think it was. And this was before Tabata came out with his, his what's now known as the Tabata Protocol. And that was grueling, particularly for someone who's not conditioned to swim. I mean, I was a runner, a basketball player, a jumper, a volleyball player. I wasn't a swimmer. That was very hard for me, even though I was well conditioned in other sports, put me in a pool and it's totally unfamiliar territory and a completely different demand on my system. Well, let me get back to the idea of tweaking the time variable and the ratio of wet rest to work or work to rest, because usually these intervals are, are typically expressed in terms of work to rest intervals. So Tabata is a two, uh, it's a two to one work rest ratio. We could change that and go a one to three work rest ratio. So if you're working for, let's say, if you want to keep the math even and easy, let's say you did 15 seconds of higher output activity followed by 45 seconds. So every minute you work for 15 seconds and you rest for 45. And then when the, the second hand hits 12 again or 60 seconds, then you do another 15 seconds of moderately intense output and another 45 seconds of rest. And, and what the science tells us is that, particularly if you're just starting out, you only need about four minutes of that to be able to start to in, see the increase in the improvements in uh, metabolic advantage, you know, whether it's a cardiorespiratory or endurance parameters, heart rate, blood pressure, all these different things that, that we know exercise does for us. Could it be feasible then to extend those time frames? And this goes back to what I was doing in my college days. Um, you know, my the last couple of years, and this was back before athletes like myself were lifting weights. I mean, now it's it's that's what athletes do, even in junior high school athlete athletic sports, they're lifting weights and getting their kids stronger to compete better. Um, that was kind of unheard of back in my day. And so my friends and I um, got together one day and said, hey, why don't we lift weights and try to get stronger? It was like, it was just kind of like an off the cuff idea and we all embraced it. And I fell in love with just the process of exercise. I've never personally, I've never struggled with uh, not wanting to exercise just simply because I love to exercise. And a lot of people don't really love to exercise, but they're looking for a certain result. To me, the result came as a result or as a consequence of doing something I enjoy doing. I understand that some people have to push themselves to do the things that they really don't enjoy all that much to get the results that they're looking for. Hi there, it's Dr. Noseworthy. I want to extend my appreciation to all of you in the Inflammation Nation who have helped my podcast become a great success in these first few months. I truly appreciate you. also wanted to let you know about my brand new do-it-yourself online program called the 5-Step Gut Protocol. I designed this program for people who want to take charge of their own health and stop waiting around for someone else to tell them what to do. I've combined old naturopathic principles with cutting-edge research to create a truly unique program that will help you construct your own gut protocol. If you've ever wondered if you have gut infections, a leaky gut, or a bad microbiome, then this program will walk you through the steps to figure that out and gives you the tools that you need to formulate a practical strategy to help make things better. I guarantee at the end of this course you'll know more about your gut than your doctor does and you will feel confident that you know how to address your unique situation. You can check it out at my website at www.drnoseworthy.com. That's drnoseworthy.com. And just look for the tab at the top that says the programs. Thanks for listening. 
back in those days, um, pretty much the only cardio equipment that gyms had were stationary bikes. This is before elliptical machines were invented and steppers and all that kind of stuff. And um, I found myself kind of naturally adopting that Russian step training that we were doing in the pool. But I started to I started to play around with the different time intervals. And so I would pedal for maybe seven or 10 minutes. I used to read books when I was on the bike and maybe spend 45 minutes or so before I went to lift. And I did that mostly because I like to read. Um, but nevertheless, I got 45 minutes of cardio type work done before I, I used to lift weights. And so I found myself doing these intervals after about, you know, 10 minutes of just riding, I would put the book down, I would crank up the intensity. And what I would do is I would do a, a kind of a, a more moderate intense, but longer period of time. I actually would do a one minute work interval followed by a two minute rest cycle. So each cycle was three minutes long. And so it was one work, one minute of, of the highest intensity I could sustain for that period of time followed by cranking the dial down, lowering the intensity, sitting back on the bike seat, and then just kind of coasting and pedaling to let my heart rate recover. And by the time the two-minute rest interval was up, I was ready to do it again. And I was kind of naturally doing it. And I'm not putting that out there saying like I was some, you know, ahead of my time genius. I was just taking something that I had learned in college athletics and just extended it to the period of time when I wasn't competing anymore. We were just using fitness as something we enjoyed to do. My point is that don't be afraid of high intensity. Don't be afraid of the terminology. Look past the language to understand the principle. Number one is that intensity is relative to you and your current capacity. And even though your capacity might be fairly low, it doesn't mean that you can't adopt some kind of high intensity interval training or, or HIIT workout protocol as long as you don't just go by the book per se and go, I'm going to really crank it for 20 seconds only and rest for 10. I will guarantee that if you are already metabolically compromised, you might get through two or three Tabata intervals, spend a minute and a half, and you're going to be toast. That's just the way it is. But if you give yourself less work, less intense work for a shorter period of time and extend your rest interval, you will find a balance somewhere in there that is something that you can sustain over time and then repeat another day during the week. Because especially in the beginning, you really only need to do this type of HIIT workout or interval training twice a week to get the benefits. So for example, if you feel like you are really metabolically compromised, you have some capacity to exercise, but not a lot, it's easy to overdo it, then maybe on most days of the week, you go out and you're walking at a crisp pace so that your heart rate is elevated, you're breathing deeply, maybe you're breaking a sweat. That's going to depend on the time of year and the location where you are, of course, maybe how you're dressed as well. But if you start to play with these personalized work-rest ratios and give yourself plenty of wiggle room to test your parameters, to test your ability and to test your capacity. There's no rule that says that Tabata said, I've got to do four minutes and eight intervals, and otherwise it's not going to help me. Listen, the first time that you go out to do a personalized HIIT protocol, maybe you only do it for a minute. <laughs> maybe you do one interval just to see how you do, right? So you push it for maybe 10 seconds and give yourself 50 seconds of rest. Can you do that? And then can you do it again two, excuse me, two or three days later? And you go, okay, all of a sudden I can do that. That was fine. So maybe I'll do two of those. And so, and let's just make it 15 seconds work and 45 seconds rest to give us an equal minute in each cycle. 
so then you you go out and you do your second hit protocol or session i guess is the the better word and so you do 15 seconds of work and give yourself 45 seconds of rest and then you do another 15 seconds and 45 seconds of rest and see how you do don't think that you have to hit somebody else's benchmark just because it's written in a book or a research paper or somebody blogged about it or a trainer is telling you that's what you need to do it's better to be cautious, proceed with caution, and to build capacity over time than it is to exceed your metabolic capacity, pay the cost for that, and then have to back up two steps to make sure you can go forward again. It is entirely possible that if you exceed your metabolic tipping point, it could cost you two weeks of recovery. And I don't know, obviously, where you are in your circumstance, but the more metabolically challenged you are, the longer it takes you to rebound from exceeding your metabolic tipping point. You could even adopt a, okay, I'm just gonna pick up the pace. Let's say you're walking and that's your modality or it's an elliptical machine. All you have to do is just increase the intensity in your pace just a little bit to get your heart rate up so that you notice it. And you're like, okay, I'm pushing harder, but I could push more. Maybe I don't, but I could. And you go, okay, let's do a 30 second work interval. And then I'm going to give myself a minute and a half. So that's a two-minute cycle or a two-minute interval. 30 seconds of moderate intensity extended over a longer period of time, followed by a full minute and a half of rest. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, particularly if this is the beginning of something new for you. And what you will find is that over time, as your capacity increases, as your conditioning increases, as your ability to understand and respect your metabolic tipping point, and even handle the post-exercise inflammation and oxidative stress, is that you will be able to start changing your work rest, work, rest, work rest ratios to align more with what's published and, and, I guess, accepted as general guidelines. You know, working your way to the point where you are using equal work rest intervals. It's a one-to-one -one ratio. So if I go 15 seconds hard, I go 15 seconds rest, 15 seconds hard, 15 seconds rest. And you'll know very quickly if you're adapting to that and you have that capacity because you'll be able to do four minutes or more of that type of cycle and you'll be able to continue on. If you find, for example, and let's give you this example and I'll close out this episode. Um, Let's say that you're, you're working your way towards um, aligning your work-rest ratio to something more like what Tabata published. Let's say you start out with, um, say, 20 seconds. Let me go back to the 1545 just because it's easy math. Every minute you do 15 seconds of work, 45 seconds of rest. And you figure, okay, I can handle this at a certain intensity. I can do eight intervals of that. Uh, actually, four intervals, because that would be four minutes. If you can do eight, even even better. But then you decide, okay, I'm going to play with my ratios. I'm going to go more, instead of a one to three ratio of work to rest, I'm going to go one to two. So you do 15 seconds of work, and you do 30 seconds of rest instead of 45. And then you you go, okay, well, I did a full four minutes of that, and I didn't crash and burn, and I did it again two or three days later, and I didn't crash and burn. Well, guess what? That matches your capacity. But maybe you go, okay, let me, let me just try to change that number again and go closer to a one-to-one -one ratio as I work towards a true Tabata ratio. And I go 15 seconds hard, 15 seconds of rest. You've kept your work ratio the same or your work period the same, 
But what you've done is you've reduced your rest interval so that you're not fully recovered by the time you do the next work cycle. Well, maybe you go, okay, I couldn't sustain that for four minutes. I got two and a half and now I was done. Well, guess what? You got to go, you got to go back to your one to two ratio and build more capacity. It's very simple. I mean, it's not rocket science. I mean, maybe the concepts are difficult if this is unfamiliar material to you, but it's all about understanding. Like I said, look past the language. Don't get tied up into what you think words like intensity or high intensity interval training means. Make it about you and your, and your current capacity and then understand the variables that are under your control. You can control how hard you work during a work cycle and you can control the ratio between your work cycle and your rest cycle and you can control how many cycles you do or how many intervals you do, how many minutes you work for and how many times you do that during a week. All of those are under your control and, and you know, I fully believe and this is really kind of my, and I call it my holy cause, <laughs> which is teaching people to be autonomous. The word simply means independent or under your own control. And so autonomous health is all about you learning to do the things that are under your control. They're going to have the greatest benefit and impact on your health. And, you know, this is the difficult thing is that in conventional medicine and to a large extent in alternative medicine as well, doctors only do what doctors do. I fully believe that 80% of what you can do to get better is not going to come from any doctor you see. It's going to come from you learning to take care of yourself, whether that's diet, lifestyle modification, exercise, nutritional supplementation, whatever it is, you are smart enough to figure this stuff out. You just might need someone like me to come and say, okay, here's what we understand. Here's how we understand the concepts and the principles. Here's how you might apply it to yourself. Why don't you go ahead and give it a shot? All right, so next episode, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of do a big picture summary where I'm going to go back over the key concepts of each of these different episodes and we'll conclude this little mini series just kind of with a running survey or running summary of the things that we've already talked about. And I hope it's valuable to you. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time. Thank you.